So let me, uh, let's pray and we'll look into the word of God this morning. God, we, uh, we do trust the Bible. We say that. Uh, we have it in print on different things. We trust the Bible because we trust you. And uh, we trust that what the Bible says to us, what you say to us through the Bible, is, uh, is life-giving for us. So I pray that you would let us, help us to hear um, and to see with our hearts um, what you want us to see. And that you would uh, use your word, continue in our lives, to lead us to become the full of life-giving, full of the life and joy that come from you. We want to be those kind of people. So we commit ourselves to your word, and we commit ourselves to you. And we ask this all in your name. Amen. So uh, today, uh, again, I, I told you last week or so that I was just, not to be overly spiritual, I was listening to God and trying to understand what he wants every week. So um, I will start a series, another one soon, but there was one this week that I feel like God wanted me to talk about, and it was just, I won't explain how I came, how I came up with this one, except for it was just, it came up in an odd way, and I kind of, like maybe you do too, you kind of ask God, is this you? And I kind of thought it was God saying, that I want to talk about this, so... So uh, this is going to be a fill-in-the-blank thing. You have it on your purple sheet, but I'll put it on the screen here and see if you can fill, the, fill in the blanks. All right, this is, I mean, you don't have to out loud, but this is from John chapter 1. Uh, this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And, uh, and I'm, let, me, let me preface this by saying, if you ask people, general people, and I, even people who are pastors, why did Jesus come? What was his mission? You'll get a lot of different answers. I... I uh, one one pastor I know uh, will say will say to me that Jesus was his mission was all about the poor people and the disenfranchised people and this there's some truth to that but that wasn't his primary mission and what I've said before at Exodus is um, everything we understand has to come from what does the Bible say about these things we can't project onto Jesus our own social ideas what does the Bible say so that's why I'm showing some stuff here. And he went throughout, this is Jesus, he went throughout Galilee preaching in their synagogues and, don't fill in the blank yet, and some people wish it would say taking care of the poor. Some people wish it would say um, helping out people. I mean, all kinds of things we wish it would say. And this, here's what it says, though, and casting out demons. Like, why, this is the beginning of his ministry. Kind of how it's described from the beginning. He went throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues, and casting out demons. All right? Next passage. And I didn't have to look hard to find these, I'll say. This is in Mark chapter 3. Again, early in his ministry, he, he chooses the 12 disciples. Then he pointed the 12 of them and called them his apostles. They were to accompany him, and he would send them out to preach, giving them money, more instructions, information. All right. What did he give them? He gave them authority to cast out demons. It's one of those things like when you, when you, when they always say when you buy a car and you think yours is the only one that, you're the only one that has a Honda Prelude in that color, and the next day you see five of them on the road. When you start seeing them, they show up. All right. So this was interesting to me that he, when he sent them out, he gave them directions to preach, but then second thing is mentioned, authority to cast out demons. Alright, next one. You can probably see where I'm going with this now. This is just a few chapters later. Same 12, different situation. 
So the disciples went out telling everyone they met to repent of their sins and turn to God. Okay, that's one we okay, that's that's one of the, that's part of the gospel, right? Repent of your sins and turn to God. Yes, that's what the Bible is all about. That's what Jesus is all about. Yes, that's part of his mission. And they blank and healed many sick people. We like this sick people, repentance, healing sick. Fill in the blank here. It is, and they cast out many demons. So like the beginning, I mean, you, can't, you cannot read the Gospels about Jesus' ministry except casting out demons, casting out demons, and the Bible often refers to it as evil spirits or unclean spirits, but it seems to pop up a lot. Like I said, as I was looking at this week, it just seemed that I have a Bible program that I can search the word cast out, and it shows up a lot in the Gospels. And then he's telling the 12 to do this. They have, they, they were casting out many demons. So then here's what, here's, here's what I thought. Then Okay, well, Jesus did it. And then he had asked, he gave the 12 the power to do it. But let's not go overboard here. Let's just assume it must stop there. Because maybe he wanted the 12 to have that power because they needed a catalyst to start off his ministry. Because the assumption would be that, well, that's, that's just for them. That's not, that, that was for them then, not for us now. Um, because that just seems a little bit on the odd side of things. And maybe we shouldn't go there, right? So that's why I thought, well, maybe he, is, there, is there a reason he just gave this authority to 12? Then, as I'm reading on more in the Bible this week, next one. It's in uh, chapter 10. He chose 72 other disciples. So he was building this community of people that would go out and minister. So now he chooses 72. We don't know all their names, but of course it was more than the 12. So he's expanded this. He chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. That's verse 1. I skipped like 15 verses in between, but he did tell them, you know, to preach the gospel. He told them, don't take anything with you. Don't take money with you. Don't take an extra pair of sandals with you. Basically kind of this sense of absolute trust that I'm going to take care of you. So they go out, and I don't know, we don't know how long they were sent out, but when they came back, verse 17, when the 70, so they were, they were told to go preach and heal. When the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, and they joyfully reported something, and we would think it would be number of converts, number of people healed, um, number of people they gave clothes to. I don't know what. But here's what they reported to Jesus. Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. So then I thought, wait a minute, okay, so there's 70, the 72, so it was not just Jesus, it was not just 12, it was not just the 72, but something's going on here in the New Testament when you read those things, and there's, you, cannot, you cannot avoid the talk in the Gospels and even in the book of Acts about uh, the expulsion of demons. Casting out is the word, but... And it just seems to show up a lot. And some in our modern world would say, well, what they thought then we just call mental illness now. But let's assume that Jesus uh, knew exactly what he was talking about and he used that language. So we either have to make this decision of either there's some reality what the New Testament's talking about or let's just write it off as uh, misunderstanding of the culture and they were really mental health 
issues and people just they, they were able to help mental, mentally health mental health issues be healed that's not at all the sense when you read the gospels the century the gospels that right away from the beginning of Jesus' ministry, it was like this collision he had with the invisible world of darkness. And, and then the question is, what do we do with that? I mean, this is 2021. What do we do with that? And again, you read the Gospels, you read about Jesus and the disciples, and you go into the book of Acts, there's, like, there's confrontation with demons all over the place. And again, either it's true, and God knew way in advance of the Bible being written that that was still going to be true. It wasn't some misunderstanding. Or it's not true. If it's not true, then let's just kind of gloss over it. Let's do a global replace of the Bible of demons and put mental health issues or whatever. But if it's true, then we have to wrestle. What do we do? You know, it's August 2021. All right. So first phrase is, well, you've seen this phrase. I'll go to the next slide. Actually, this is my weird meter. I forgot about that. Weird meter. This is a weird meter issue, right? We're talking about uh, demons. We're talking about the dark world. If you look in the Bible, if you just search on the, the role of demons in the Bible and the role of angels, it's all over the place. So, again, we have to make the decision. Is, is this just kind of mythical or is it real? Was it a misunderstanding of the first century culture or was it a total understanding of what's happening in reality? And our culture is the one that's off, right? So then, then this statement is the same. We've made a lot at Exodus. The invisible world is just as real as the visible world. So this is where, uh, this is where I think we, there, it's, it's a definite fork in the road. Um, you can talk to, you can read a number of different theological books, theological studies, and there's a clear demarcation between those who would believe this is true and those who don't. And those who don't then have to figure out how do they write off the supernatural elements of the, of, the, of the Bible. Not only demons and angels, but anything supernatural, miracles, anything else. And there are clearly, there are churches in this town that would say that we're on that side of things. We just, you know, so the gospel simply becomes, we have to become good people, better people, be like Jesus, be kind to one another, love your neighbors yourself. Those are true statements, but that's, that's a stent of it. If, it's, if, if the supernatural aspect, if the, if the invisible world is real, and I think most of us would say it is real, but one of my mentors used to say that, if the, that we have to come to the realization that that's a true statement and then ask ourselves, how do I align my day-to-day -day life around that reality? Because I can say it's true, but if I live my life as if it's not true, then I really don't really believe it. So if there are things we don't see demons, angels, the Holy Spirit, if there are things happening in the unseen world around us, um, and especially today the whole idea of, of the, 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 the world of Satan and his dominion, if that's true, what do we do with that? I mean, is every time we have a flat tire, is it Satan's fault? Every time our water heater breaks, is it Satan's fault? I mean, is it Satan's fault what's happened in Knox? You know, we can, we can go into that kind of simplicity of the thing. Um, but we have to kind of think, what do we do with that? So, so here's, here's, what, here's, my, here's my conclusion from this week that I thought was, was it. So let just leave this slide up here. So if the invisible world's real and you read the Bible and you kind of embrace these things and you get the clear understanding that we live in a world, what Jesus would say and what the Bible would say, we live in a world that is at war. 
and it has nothing to do with Afghanistan, the Taliban, the U.S. Army, is there's a spiritual battle happening. You, you cannot read the Gospels. If you believe the invisible world, you read the Gospels, you read through Acts, you read through the book of Revelation. There is something going on where there is a clear battle happening. And, and you and I have an enemy whose sole objective is to destroy our souls. There's actually a passage in the book of Revelation where there's this imagery that John sees. And he sees a, it's a kind of interesting imagery. He sees a dragon about ready to snatch a baby being born from this woman. The clear sense is the woman is Mary, the baby is Jesus, and the dragon is Satan. He's there to try to snatch Jesus out. And remember what, what happened when Jesus was born? Herod tried to kill him. So there's some, this is what's happening there. And then, the, then it says the dragon, since he couldn't, he was not successful in killing the baby. This is in Revelation 12, I think. It says, he went away... And he decided to make war against all the children and her descendants. Her descendants are you and I. So the Bible is very clear that Satan, his objective is he's going to destroy anything that comes from, from anything birthed by Jesus. And again, then you might say, okay, so what do, what do I do with that today? I mean, how do I know what's happening? And, and, uh, and part of my response to that is, I'm not exactly sure how Satan's active in my life or your life. What I'm trying to say is maybe we should start asking that question. Or at least wondering. Because maybe not everything happening in your life, or maybe not every thought you're having in your life is coming from you. Maybe, maybe there's other things at stake. Because if Satan is active in trying to destroy you, or at least neutralize you, we should at least be asking those questions. But again, I don't, I don't know. But I'm, I think this week I was stirred with, should we at least be asking these questions? Because it's real easy just to kind of settle into the, settle into the assumption of, well, all I see is physical and that's all I can deal with. So that's all. But again, the Bible says that there's an enemy, that his objective is to uh, uh, destroy us. And, and one of the principles I think it's good to understand is that any time... And this is a principle from Scripture. Anytime you make movement toward freedom in life, whether it's in your own life, breaking a habit, starting something new, whether it's in, the, in your marriage, whether it's in whatever, anytime you're moving toward freedom in life, there will always be opposition. Uh, think about when Moses was to be the one who freed the children of Israel. What happens when Moses is about to be born? Well, Pharaoh decides he's going to kill all the newborns. He's, there's an opposition to the freedom and life that Moses is going to bring. Moses is rescued. Same thing with when Jesus was born. So the other stories in Scripture, when, it, when freedom and life was starting to happen, there seemed to be conflict. So whenever you, you decide, I'm going to change this part of my life, I'm going to do this, I'm going to... I guarantee if, you, if you're not tithing or giving on a regular basis and you decide to, there's a really good chance the next day you're going to get hit hard with something financial because you're going to be op there's going to be opposition. But not exactly. I'm not saying that Satan's in your bank account. But anytime you move toward freedom in life, you're going to be opposed. Anytime. So uh, just and then there's and there's and there's 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 a posture in the Bible we're told to take against Satan. And I'm going to kind of contrast some things, but 
there's this defensive posture, I'll say, that we're told to take because there's, uh, we're told to be alert. The lion roams around seeking to devour us. Peter says that, be alert. There's going to be ways that Satan is trying to figure out ways to, to knock you over. We're also told uh, to resist, resist the devil and he will flee for you, flee from you. So there's kind of be alert, resist. And then we're also told to overcome. But it, what struck me is those verses, while they're real, they seem to have this uh, defensive posture. You know, wait and see, wait and see. Uh, resist, be alert, overcome. But it seems like when, when G, and it's true, those are true things. There, there are times we have to do that. But it seems like when Jesus was sending out his disciples, it was like this offensive. It wasn't this defensive posture. He didn't send them out and say, hey, just be aware that Satan's going to be doing things, so uh, be alert, resist, and overcome. Those are true statements, those are biblical statements. But he didn't send them out with that. He sent them out with an offensive authority to deal with the destructive works of Satan in people's lives. And that just struck me this week. I thought I never thought about that. We tend to think of, of spiritual warfare, it's kind of the phrase people use, as this defensive thing. Oh, I gotta, I gotta figure out what's happening and, and stop it. But there seems to be, not seems to be, there is a sense in Scripture of, of when Jesus sent him out, it was totally an offensive strategy. Go cast the demons out. I'm gonna give you authority to cast out demons. And that just kind of struck me because there was, a, there was a time to be defensive and look for and be alert and be aware of times where Satan may be trying to lie to you or deceive you or things like that. Um, but there are other times where we're called to be on the defensive. Let me give you an example of this, this over here because of the defensive one. And these are, they can be simple things because my, there's a, my wife and I have been, were talking about somebody recently and I, which is kind of how I can do things, I had made the person into a bit of a monster, or at least a really bad person. And Kathy kind of challenged me, and she said, well, I wouldn't go there because he's probably not that. But in my mind, maybe it was my mind, maybe it was, I think sometimes Satan can egg me on. Yeah, he's a, he's a real, he's this, he's that, he's this. When, right, maybe he's this, but I, and... So I'm not talking, there may not be big things, maybe really simple things where, and I had kind of, oh, this is what this person is. And Kathy's like, you, just, you may want to reset that and kind of go back and maybe they're not that. All right. Those, Satan can be very subtle in things like that. So I'm just saying that's, be aware of those things. But again, I'm, I'm, this whole idea of the offensive that Jesus talks about. So let me just leave this up there on the screen there. But there's some passages where Jesus, where the scripture talks about kind of the offensive nature of the Christian church, you and me, against the powers of darkness. Um, Jesus, when he's first talking to Peter toward the end of the Matthew's gospel, he's, Jesus says, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. I think when I was a kid, I used to, under, or younger, I thought that meant that, again, we're defensive. We're, you know, but the pastor says the gates of hell won't prevail. So the sense Jesus is giving, is it's the church that has the battering ram against the gates of hell. That we're on the offensive. We're not on the defensive, we're on the offensive. And then in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, 
they have divine power to demolish strongholds. So Paul says the weapons we have, and he's talking about prayer, and I love the word demolish. That's an offensive term. I mean, offense term. Our job through our prayers, we can demolish strongholds. Stronghold usually is some kind of uh, habit or pattern in your life or someone else's life that just doesn't seem something you can break. Or maybe it's somebody you know that seems to be far away from God and they just, you just seem like they're locked into that lifestyle. But Paul says, no, we have weapons that can demolish the strongholds. He doesn't say the weapons that can kind of hit the, hit the edges of it and try to bump some holes in it. He uses, I love this word, we have, through the power of prayer and, and kind of that offensive kind of praying, demolishing strongholds. And then, put this one up here, and this will be the one at the end, and I'll make a couple comments. This is from 1 John. So John was somebody who was one of Jesus' disciples. He saw all these things happen. He was one of the ones who was given authority to cast out demons. But later on in life, when he writes the epistle, the, the epistle of 1st, 2nd, 3rd John... One of the statements he made was, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So destroy, demolish, and uh, I'm going to use it now. You, you, most of you know that I'm a, I'm a football guy. I played football in high school. I played football in college. As far as I know, I've never used a football analogy in a sermon. So give me the, give me the grace and the break to do that one time, all right? And, uh, and I'm going to use my son as an example, because he won't care. He won't care, all right? So, because he had a game the other night, um, and uh, he played really well. But anyway, that's beside the point. It's not beside the point. He did play well. And he's an, he's an offensive lineman, all right? His job is to protect those with the ball. So he had this, and I, when I was seeing this and reading this, I thought this is exactly what I think Scripture talks about. He had this uh, a linebacker who would be flying in with probably, what, six steps of head start to come try to get to the ball, and David was the only one to stop him. And it was like there must have been ten collisions. I mean, it was just like, boom, you just, and he held his ground every time. One time, though, he said his coach told him, the other guy hit him first, and David kind of buckled, but then he kind of back. And this coach said to David, the key, David, is you hit him first. Kind of the offensive strategy. You can, if you're, if you're going to be in this posture of always trying to wait till they come, then yes, have the strength to resist, be alert, you know, overcome. But the goal is to make the first strike. All right? If you make the first strike, it's offensive you're generally more in control of the situation because he has to be aware. So I, I, I thought about that when it comes to spiritual warfare and things, that yes, there's times where we have to uh, resist. You know when Satan's maybe been tempting you. We're told to resist. We're told to be alert. And there's times where we may get blindsided, but we have to kind of hold our ground, so to speak. Jesus, the Bible tells in Revelation we are overcomers. But it seems like Scripture talks, especially when we read the Gospels, Jesus wasn't talking to them about resisting then or being alert. He was telling them, go, go after the world of darkness. Because it was Satan, 
is obsessed with ruining the lives of people. So then again, I think to myself this week, and maybe you're thinking, okay, so what are we supposed to do? Go out and wander around and look for people to cast out demons from? No, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying maybe there's ways you could be praying for people, praying for situations, and we need to be praying uh, offensively, proactively. God, will you set this person free from that issue in their life? God, will you bring this person freedom spiritually? They're blinded spiritually. We bring them freedom. And maybe you already pray that way, but there's a sense where I think there's a, I don't know, there's, 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 a, there's a sense of collision that it seems like is, was a part of the New Testament Gospels, colliding with the invisible world. And I'm not saying when you pray you should start yelling and screaming. I mean, you watch TV and you see TV preachers. I'm not saying it's wrong either, but when they... When they start kind of praying about spiritual warfare, praying for somebody's freedom, they, they raise their voice and they kind of squeak a little bit. And I don't think you have to yell. There, there's an intensity of spirit maybe you have. So when you might know somebody who you think, boy, they are like, they're enslaved to that sin in their life. Or you might think, man, my, there's this pattern in our marriage that just seems like we're enslaved to that pattern. Or you may just see... Uh, an issue in your world, in your neighborhood, in town, and, and you think, I think there's a spiritual battle going on there. Just pray, God, will you, bring, will you bring the kingdom of light against the kingdom of darkness in that situation? I mean, I, I often think with, uh, you know, homeless people in Bloomington, I think a lot of it is mental health stuff, but I'm not, I'm not naive enough to think there might not be some spiritual warfare going on there. I'm not going to stop where the homeless are and start casting out demons, but maybe I could at least pray, God, would you, would you bring the kingdom of light into the kingdom of darkness if that's where any of these people are living their lives? You could pray for, you could pray for people you know, loved ones, family members, kids. Maybe there's a sense of praying that way. Um, again, yes, we need to resist. Yes, we need to be alert and kind of be, be ready to be blindsided. But it seems like in the Gospels, Jesus was calling us to be proactive in identifying areas where Satan was having his way and being proactive through the power of the blood of Jesus to, to free up those situations. So I don't know who those people are in your life you might be praying for. I don't know if situation in your life where you feel like, well, I'm stuck. Maybe there's ways we, we, you pray, we pray, I pray in those situations um, that we would... That, that, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the blood of Jesus, there'd be freedom in people's lives. You know, and not so this this whole the word collision just keeps coming to mind, and maybe I'm maybe I'm basically encouraging you to have some collision prayers. Instead of waiting for something to happen, um, ask God to show you ways you need to be praying for spiritual freedom when in when there is a reality of the kingdom of darkness being active in a situation that maybe you or I have written off as just, you know, psychological problem, counseling issue, therapeutic, mental health. Those things are real, but the, spirit of, the spiritual world of darkness is absolutely real and can even make those things worse. So when you pray for people you know, situations, yourself, um, like I said, I think, I think my purpose this morning is just, let's just raise the awareness that there's way more going on and that Jesus has given us the authority 
to cast out demons. He gave it to the 72. It didn't stop there. Why would he give up all this stuff he happened in the New Testament and then all of a sudden the book is closed and the rest of you, the rest of the Christians throughout history, you have to deal with it without this power. Why would he do, but no, I think there's power and there's, there's an authority we have in how we pray and how we deal with things. So, um, so we take communion every week at Exodus and uh, when Jesus said, when you eat this bread and drink this cup, remember me. And there seemed to be there were, part of the remembering was not just about his teaching. At this point, he had given them authority to cast out demons. He had given them authority over spiritual uh, darkness. But then what was about to happen in the next you know, 36, 48 hours was his, his, his crucifixion, his resurrection. And at that point, uh, at his resurrection, at that point, Satan is then a completely defeated enemy. But the challenge for you and me is how do we live in that kind of freedom how do we live in that victory you know we we set pray uh, with the beginning of the sermon or the service in psalm 24 said the lord strong and mighty the lord remember what the word was in invincible in battle he's invincible in battle so there's no battle that he's timid about or even 50 50 chance of winning he is invincible in battle so i don't know what the battle is for you for your friends for your neighbors or the battle that God may be calling you to be offensive in your praying about. But just be aware. Be, uh, pay attention to things God may bring to mind to pray for. For freedom in people's lives and things like that. So let me pray and then we'll uh, take communion. So Jesus, we... Uh, you have given us the authority over the dark world, over the demonic forces. We don't fully understand how that works or what it means, but we want to. And we want to, we want to live in the authority you've given us that solely comes from what you did for us on the cross and in your resurrection. So would, would you deliver us from being timid or afraid of the spiritual dark world? Would you deliver us from being uh, in denial about it But would you give us a, a clarity about uh, ways in which you're calling us to battle on behalf of maybe just one person that we love that needs to be set free? Maybe it's more than that. But God, just pray that you would give us a clarity of how to pray and how to pray against uh, the dominion of the world of Satan and his darkness. We pray for that. And Jesus, you, the scripture says you're the victor. You're invincible in battle. You demolish and destroy strongholds in people's lives. So even as we take this um, bread and this cup into our bodies, would you remind us what we're taking in from you? Your life is also your authority, your authority over the dominion of darkness, and that we are the kind of people that you've called to be part of, uh, not of just a movement, but of an army to set people free. And we, uh, we accept that. Uh, commission from you and we want to be those kind of people that pray um, in very offensive aggressive ways to demolish and destroy strongholds in our lives or in the lives of others around us and we ask this on your name jesus amen